Okay, today we're in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And we are coming very near to the end of our study on the Holy Spirit. Here, I feel like I need to move back a little bit. It's kind of like, I'm like on top of y'all. It's like, wah. Um, so, Romans chapter 8, we have covered who is the Holy Spirit. We've covered uh, things like what does it mean to be filled by the Spirit. We have covered um, what is the primary work of the Holy Spirit. And we answer that question by saying the primary work of the Holy Spirit is to work salvation in people. That's, that's what his task is in the Trinity, uh, in the economy of the Trinity, it's called. And now we're, getting, we're nearing the end of our study, and we're going to get into the Spirit and what's called sanctification. Now, that's a big word, I know. It's a churchy word, so let me define it. Sanctification just means growth. As a Christian, it just means it just means life change. It just means like being progressively made more like Christ. That's all that its sanctification means. But we're gonna today we're gonna dive into the Holy Spirit's work in that process, and we're gonna do it by looking at Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter eight. We're gonna be in verses six through twelve. Let me turn there now. Romans 8, 6-12. Sorry, 5-12, my bad. 5-12. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God, It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. Now, well, I'll define terms in just a minute. I'll never forget when I was about nine years old, we were at my grandparents' house, and my grandfather, who never played games with us as kids. He was one of those guys, great man, but he's one of those guys who just didn't, whenever we invited him, hey, you want to come play Monopoly with us? Hey, you want to come, you know, play Boggle with us? Not happening. (laughs) But when I was about nine, things started to change. And I remember this one particular Sunday, which we always went to my grandmother's house on Sundays, that I was tossing a balloon with him in the hallway which felt incredibly strange to me, to be tossing a balloon around. And he was laughing in almost a giddy way. I did not know at the time what was happening. But I was informed later that he was struggling with a disease called Alzheimer's. And that was sort of one of our first clues. Um, And as a kid, for me, it was not a big deal. It was kind of fun, almost. But as you might imagine, for the rest of my family for and me later on, it got much, much more difficult, um, especially for my mom, because it was her father. And um, over time, 
the disease uh, started, it started to ravage his brain, and eventually he was unable to remember our names. And that's a really tough period. I don't know if you've ever known someone who had Alzheimer's or had to go through this yourself, but that, that, that phase is really tough. And it's tough because you begin to wonder, do they remember me at all? All those beautiful times we shared together, all those, you know, those beach trips, all those, you know, hugs and family dinners, is that now gone? Is that lost forever? And you begin to wonder these things. Now, I, I don't believe that's the case. I believe that, you know, in the, in the spirit, the memories can be retained, even though the mind, the body, and the flesh is beginning to, to wither and die. But it's still extremely difficult. Because memories matter. Remembering matters. I have, I've heard it said, and you, and you heard me earlier even today, that we preach the gospel from the pulpit every week in the church because we need the reminder. Every week we forget who we are, what, who God is, what He's done for us. And so those are the very issues before us today in Romans 8. You could, you could phrase it like this. Forgetfulness versus remembering. Or another way to put it, flesh versus the spirit. Now, in the translation I have, it was translated as sinful nature. But in a lot of other translation, that word sinful nature, it's, in the Greek it's called sarks. It's, it's translated as the flesh. Um, and so when, when we look at this passage, we're going to be looking very distinctly at what is the difference between life lived in the flesh and what is the difference in, and what is life lived in the spirit. So our main point here today is this. Life in the spirit for the believer will progressively get victory over life in the flesh. And our obligation, our task is to live life in the in the Spirit. And our three points to help us understand that this morning are, um, number one, what is the flesh? What does that mean? When the Bible talks about this, the sinful nature, what is that? And what does it mean to walk in the flesh? And then we're going to unpack what is the Spirit and what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? And then we're going to unpack how do we fulfill our obligation to walk more in the Spirit and less in the flesh? Now, the question many of us are asking, and I often ask on any given uh, Sunday, any week, is how do I get through it? Right? That's, that's, that's the question I'm often asking when it comes to like getting ready even for Sunday morning, is where do I get a sense of purpose, hope, victory, comfort? Now, and I mean, this morning, you're not necessarily asking me for a heady treatise on what Romans 8 teaches. But if you're like me, you want help. Help for this journey. This journey that we're on. uh, On this earth. Um, You know, sometimes it feels like I'm a bigger sinner than my neighbors. You know, sometimes it's difficult for me. I I feel like I can't make progress in my struggle with blank. Fill in the blank. Right? Um, We all need help. I think that's fairly clear. The Bible makes that clear. And I think experientially, we all understand that. That we need help in this life. Um, and this passage here is not a fix-all plan, but it is wonderful. And I think it is really important for us to understand, what is the Spirit's work in making us more like Christ? What is the Spirit's work? So the best way for me to describe this is these two options. The forgetful option and the remembering option. So first, the forgetful option. And we're going to, and Paul calls it the flesh. As I just mentioned earlier, 
it, the Greek word is sarx. And it, when he says the flesh versus the spirit, he doesn't mean like physical, like this flesh, right? He's talking about, and, and that's why you find it translated differently in the, past, in the NIV, which is what I read from. It's translated as sinful nature. But it's more talking about a way of life, more than it is like this actual physical body that, that, I, it, that I reside in. That my soul resides in, um, and um, in our passage, this the idea of the flesh is life without God. That's essential. That's essentially its definition, as Paul uses that particular word in Romans: life without God. In any words, in, in other words, it's life without any consideration for the spiritual. It's life with a narrowly human focus and perspective. It is a condition of forgetfulness. God is out of sight, out of mind. And the connection to understanding about sins of the flesh is in Romans chapter 1. To understand this more fully, this idea of forgetfulness, we have Romans chapter 1 to help us with that. <clears throat> in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, you're welcome to turn there, but I'm going to read it pretty quick. So, it, Romans, Romans chapter 1, verse 18 says this, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men and women who suppress the truth by their wickedness. The idea there of suppressing the truth, I mean, think about a suppressor. Right? You ever seen a gun with a suppressor on it? What's the point of putting a suppressor on a gun? Reduce the noise. Yeah. Silence. Reduce the noise. Silence. Same thing as a silencer, right? So the idea is when, when Paul talks about suppressing the truth, this, that this is at the heart of what it means to be in the flesh, it's this idea of I am going to silence anything about God in my life. That, that is going to be my goal. I've got to shut this down. I've got to turn this off. Um, and so all throughout Romans, Paul talks about this idea of the flesh. And it's all about forgetfulness. Um, one example might be worry. I don't know if you're like me, but I feel like I have a master's in worry. Uh, I mean, just watch. I read the news. I read the news last night because I couldn't sleep. I'm all clogged up, and I'm up in the middle of the night. That's the worst time to read the news. <laughs> just note to self. And so I'm reading through, and I'm reading about, like, you know, these horrible car accidents where, like, a whole family gets plowed into by a drunk driver and... You know, it's just, I mean, it's, it's rough. And then, of course, my next response often is because I'm forgetful about God, who God is, God being in control, I worry about it. And that's really essentially what worry is. Worry is, is that same mode that we're talking about in the flesh. It's this mode of I, maybe God's not in control. You know, maybe, maybe, this, is, maybe this mess is you know, an indication that he's not at work, right? That's, that's the heart of worry, is that I, I got to, it's a mindset convinced of God's absence. That's in the flesh. A mindset convinced of God's absence in the world. Now, in our passage this morning, Paul describes the end result of this life lived in the flesh. And it's in verse 6. He says, the end result is death. And it's not simply physical death. Though that's certainly included, it's a death to faith, it's a death to relationship, it's a death that is described by Jesus as he was on the cross. Yes, on the cross, Jesus' physical life was extinguished, but we also know from the phrase that he cries out from the cross that it was more than that. 
that there was also a spiritual separation. And it's, it's from the phrase, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that was him crying out about the separation that he was experiencing from God. Not just physically, but spiritually, emotionally. He was, he was experiencing true separation from God. And it was crushing him. And that's, it was the deepest part of the punishment he took for our sin was that forsakenness by the Father. Um, that then is the path of the flesh. There is a death to our connection to God. Being separated from the Creator, Redeemer, and friend is the essence of spiritual death. You know, death may be the end result for life lived in the flesh, but there's also a hust- the, this passage we just read from Romans chapter 8 talks about a hostility and an arrogance towards God. There's, there's more than just, I need to forget God in the mode, and the, we're talking again, in the mode of being in the flesh. There's more of just a, well, I guess I'll just forget about God. I guess I'll just live life as though he doesn't exist. There's actually, the way the passage talked about it, there's actually hostility. It, it's more along the lines of, I need to get God out of the equation. I need to suppress the truth. I have to actually actively battle this is again Romans chapter 1 that talks about the fact that what is to know God, to know Him by just looking at the world around us, it's plain. <laughs> it's plain to see there is a God, right? And so I have got to, in hostility and in arrogance, I have got to absolutely try to crush that, that reality, that truth that's around me. Again, that's part of what it means to be in the flesh. Now, last point about in the flesh, last part of this. And Paul explains it in verse 8 here. He says, those in the flesh cannot please God. And this verse, I think, is aimed directly at his Jewish hearers at the time. Paul the Apostle was writing, many of the people he was writing to in the, the church at Rome were Jewish. Many of them were not, but many of them were. And I think this particular phrase is aimed at them. And his point is this. You can be in the flesh in the flesh, and still following the rules. I think that's why that's in particular aimed at them. There's this idea that you can, you can actually use following the rules as a way to remove God out of your life. This happens all the time. It's a, it's a phrase described by one of my favorite um, authors and teachers. His name is Tim Keller. And he talks about this category as being those that are religious. Right? He, he has three... Tim Keller has three categories of people. He's got the religious, irreligious, and then gospel. And the idea is, religious, if we're living in in religion, and that's what I think Paul is speaking to the Jews here, you can actually be like doing your best to follow the rules, but not actually care about God being a part of your life. In fact, it's like, if I just do these five things, I can actually get him away from me. Like, it's this idea that I I can somehow substitute a real relationship with him by just doing a few of these rules that I've kind of made up for myself so that I can get him out of the picture and then I can get on with my life the way I want to live it. Right? Just a few little things, kind of check my boxes off. And I think that's what Paul's getting at. Those who are in the flesh, in the flesh, cannot please God. Okay. I know it's a little depressing. Let's move on to now look at what is life lived in the Spirit. What does it mean to live life in the Spirit? And this is what I call memory lane. Because I think remembering God is a key component of this life path. And it starts in the Old Testament. Um, sorry, I've got to flip my page. I, mean, I forgot to 
number them. So this, this idea of remembering, it first pops up in chapter 1 of Genesis. Verse 27, it says, God created man and woman. And it, the word for male there is zakur in the Hebrew. And it's, it's a play on words by the author of the first chapter of Genesis. It's a play on words. And that word for male means the remembering one. The remembering one. And so woman is a, a, a play off that same word. Uh, and, and so it has the same connotation. But there's this idea that even at the very beginning of Scripture, we are called, people are called, the remembering ones. We're created to remember. You know, it's one of those things that sometimes you'll have this, this pang. One of my favorite authors talks about this pang that you feel that we call nostalgia. Um, but it's this, it's C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors talks about it. It's this feeling you get when you, you feel as though you see a reminder in the world around you of your true home. And it's a feeling where you realize, I don't think this world is my true home. It's that deep. It goes that far into our hearts and into our souls. It's because you're remembering. There's a remembering of what we were created for, who we are, even more importantly, who we were created for. That is the Lord Almighty. Now there's other examples of this in Deuteronomy chapter 6 talking about remember the Lord. Remember the one who brought you out of Egypt. Remember the one who's always caring for you. Remember the one who is always with you. First uh, Chronicles 16 talks about the same thing. He is the one. Remember the great and mighty deeds that the Lord has done. Uh, Psalm 63, same idea of remember, remember, remember the Lord. So while this talk about memories... Um, It's because it starts in the Old Testament, but doesn't end there. One of the ways that we first started our study on the Holy Spirit was in John chapter 14. And that's where we hear this term, the paraclete. That's another word for the Holy Spirit. The one who comes alongside, the helper. That was the term. The Holy Spirit is the helper. Well, one of the things that's really important to notice in John chapter 14 is that one of the ways the Holy Spirit helps us is that it says, it says in John chapter 14, He will bring to mind all of the words and deeds of Christ. He literally, the Holy Spirit, helps us remember. Helps us remember who God is, what God has done for us, and what we are to do for God. So that is a huge role of the Holy Spirit. And it says, um, just like we looked at the, the, um, the end result of being in the flesh, the end result of being in the Spirit is that we get, in verse 6, we get life and peace. This word for life doesn't necessarily just mean physical life. This word for life here also means spiritual life. It's something that is talked about <clears throat> throughout the New Testament. And it's this idea of eternal life. It's, it's zoe in the Greek. And it can basically be summed up as life in and with God. Life in and with God. And it's right here in our passage, this idea of belonging in verse 9. The implication is that anyone who has the Spirit belongs to God. We have found belonging in Him. So when Paul says that we are in the Spirit, he can also say the Spirit is in us. It's a life lived in intimacy with God. Remembering God and being remembered by God. Um, And we also know that Paul here is describing... The Spirit is the one who consistently and constantly points us to Christ. He helps us to remember who Christ is and what Christ has done. 
Okay, let's wrap up. The end result then is eternity with God. Um, it's one of the things that uh, the Spirit is doing within us, defeating the flesh, bringing to memory who God is, that God is real. If you think about it, most of the time when we, when we are in the flesh, that is when we are letting the sinful nature take over, we need to forget God, don't we? I do it. Right? I need, if I'm going to commit a sin that, or do something I know is wrong, I have a need to forget God for the time. Just for the moment. Right? Put him away, put him in a box, tuck him away, because otherwise I'm not going to be able to follow through with whatever I'm doing that I know, I know is wrong. The Holy Spirit then, life in the Spirit, He comes, He brings life, true life, spiritual life, and He reminds us that God is real, that God is here, and that God loves us. And that we don't have to give ourselves to that thing that we're, we're selling our soul to. He convinces us of that. Okay, so let's conclude. So based on, our, uh, on the obligation of verse 12, that is an obligation Paul talks about, we have an obligation to live life in the Spirit. How then? How do we live more in step with the Spirit and less in step with the flesh? One of, one of the ways that I remember this happening in my own life was when we lived in Lexington. And we moved, at, we'd been there for about a year. And our first home was in, I was outside of town, and it was on this ridge. And we had the most mind-boggling view you can imagine. I don't know if y'all know where Lexington, Virginia is, but it's right in the heart of the Shenandoah Valley, and it's gorgeous. And that house, I was like, babe, this is my dream home. I never want to move from here, but we wanted to get our we wanted to move into towards the city. We wanted to get our kids in a particular school, and so we were moving that direction. And we compl- and we lost the view, <laughs> and it was hard for me because I would literally wake up every morning, grab my cup of coffee, look out the window in the kitchen, and be like, Ooh, "I remember God," <laughs> just because those mountains, the the majesty of just seeing his handiwork every day, the minute I woke up in the morning, was an, was an encouragement. It was an encouragement from the Spirit. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not like when I was at Moreland, I was, didn't live life in the flesh. I didn't sin at all. I mean, give me a break. Uh, but there is a sense in which remembering God, being in relationship with Him, is exceptionally helpful for dealing with the sin in our life, for, for progressively becoming more like Christ and dealing with the sin in our life. So how? One of the ways, one of the important ways Scripture gives us is this thing, these things called spiritual disciplines. I don't know if you've ever heard of these things called spiritual disciplines, but they include things like meditation, fasting, prayer, and, and there's a, the newer word for some of this is like mindfulness, but, but basically focusing your mind on God uh, for the time being. And there, there's many others. There's celebration, um, but the idea here with the spiritual disciplines, the idea is remembering. That's the point. The point, it's easy for me, and I think for a lot of us, to think, oh, spiritual disciplines, oh gosh. Of course that's where Nathan's going to go. I know I don't. I probably didn't pray enough this week. Probably didn't meditate enough or whatever I was supposed to do. But really, it's not about the, it's not about the rule of it. It's not about... Just gut it out and do it. No, maybe you need to some days. But the whole point is to remember. 
The reason we fast is because, and the reason that the scripture encourages us to fast and Jesus encouraged um, those who are following him to fast is because it's a chance for us in our hunger to remember our spiritual hunger for God. That's the whole point of fasting. Prayer is to, be, is to remind us of God's presence, of his listening ear, of the way that he is continually and constantly at work in our world and in our own lives and in the lives of our family around us and of our friends and of our city and of our state. So that's, I mean, that's getting at the point. The getting at the point, these spiritual disciplines are meant to remind us. And most importantly, they're meant to remind us of Christ, of what he has done, of what he continues to do in us and through us, the sacrifice he made for us, and the life that we have because of him. Our record of righteousness before God is not because of how good we are, but because it's been given to us by Jesus Christ. Again, the Spirit reminds us of these things and keeps us encouraged. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this time together. And Lord, <clears throat> I, need, I need your Spirit, Lord. And I'm sure there are some here today that need your Spirit, Lord. Life is hard. <laughs> Lord, the temptations are real and the temptations are constant to forget you to walk away from you to abandon you Lord we pray that by your spirit you would keep us near I pray for everyone here today Lord that might be struggling with some particular sin of the flesh some particular walking in the flesh Lord I pray for this week some freedom by the spirit I pray for a renewed hope and a renewed energy Lord, I pray that you would change us. Lord, we are unable to change ourselves. We need you. We need you, Jesus, and we need you today, right here, right now. I pray that you would meet us in this meal that we're going to share together. I pray that you would fill us as you promised through this this meal together and that our hearts would be bursting uh, to overflowing with Jesus himself. We pray this in his name. Amen.